0: Today we have a very special guest for you, Deborah Rodriguez. Deborah is the author of the non-fiction New York Times bestseller Kabul Beauty School and the international best-selling novel The Little Coffee Shop of Kabul. The hairdresser and motivational speaker was a co-founder and director of the first modern beauty academy in Afghanistan. And also founded the non-profit Oasis Rescue. She lives in Mazatlan, Mexico, where she owns Tippy Toes Salon and Spa. Her latest book is The Zanzibar Wife. With a little bit of magic, anything is possible. Oman, the ancient land of frankincense. Wind-swept deserts. Craggy mountaintops and turquoise seas. Into this magical nation comes three remarkable women, each facing a crossroad in their life. Rachel, an American war photographer who is struggling to shed the trauma of her career. Now she is headed to Oman to cover a quite a different story for a glossy travel magazine. And then there's Sophie Khan, a bubbly British woman to keep up with the glitz of Dubai. And ready to give up on love. She has rashly volunteered as Rachel's fixer. A job she's never heard of in a country she knows nothing about. And then there's Mitzah. A young woman living far from her beloved homeland of Zanzibar. As the second wife of Tariq. She remains a secret from his terrifying other wife, Maryam. Until one day when Tariq fails to come home. The Zanzibar Wife is a bewitching story of clashing cultures and conflicting beliefs of secrets and revelations of mystery and magic. And wow, this inspirational human being will blow your mind. Deborah shares some of her brave adventures and we talk about rituals, magic and genies. It's time now to tune into this magical, mysterious, inspirational woman. Enjoy. Today we have a very special guest for you, Deborah Rodriguez, all the way from Mexico. Welcome to I Am Woman Project.
1: Ah, Thank you. It's so good to be here.
0: We were just having a conversation before we got on the show about the Day of the Dead, and I thought, what a beautiful story. And I thought maybe we could start with that to share that beautiful story with our listeners.
1: Well, I live in uh, Mazalan, Mexico, and we've just come off like two days of our day of the dead celebration and everybody always thinks it's kind of creepy, but it is like one of the most amazing um, celebrations. You see people all dressed up looking like skeletons and in fancy dress and all this sort of stuff. But the bottom line is um, we have altars all throughout our town and it's, it's to um, spend time with the people in our lives who've passed, and our and our graveyards are full of flowers. I mean, just full of flowers. And people, um, and they go and they decorate the grave, or they uh, decorate the altar, and they put on, on it. They put a a candle, uh, so that the the person they believe that on the night of the dead that the veil is thin. And that your loved one can come back to you and you can spend time with them. And so the graveyards are full and um everybody's altars and everybody has altars all through their house and out on the streets, all through the city. And the candle is so that they can find their way home. Otherwise, they might have to light their finger so that they can find their way home. They also have a glass of water because they know the journey is long and they are thirsty. And they have their favorite kind of way of day of the dead bread. And we put money out there. And if someone likes to drink tequila, you have a shot of tequila out there for them. And you bring all their favorite things for them. So for this time that they're spending with us, whether at the altar or at the cemetery, um, families gather together and they celebrate, uh, they, celebrate the life of their loved ones. And I've done this for my father and it's so amazing because during that time when you're gathering, you're thinking about all his favorite things and you just go into a place where you're just thinking about them and the memories are amazing and it's a really beautiful sacred time and it's a giant party.
0: Mm, It sounds like fun. And what I was actually asking, and moving forward, we're going to call Deborah Debbie now, just in case. Uh, I was asking Debbie that there was a movie that I saw where there were Mexicans crawling on the floor towards uh, an altar. So I was asking her about that. Did you want to share that piece as well?
1: Well, you know, I think that I'm not certain that has anything to do with the Day of the Dead. But I believe that's probably, uh, more to do with the Virgin of Guadalupe. And in Mexico City, they have the shrine to the Virgin. And often people, that's a daily thing. It's a pilgrimage and they crawl to, uh, the path to the Virgin. And you'll see that, you know, every day. Mm. But that, that's, that, that's a really sacred spot in Mexico City. And the Virgin, the Virgin of Guadalupe is like, is very 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 important it's like the virgin mary
0: Mm, i love it so debbie what made you move to mexico
1: you know i had left afghanistan and i had um i was living in california a couple years and i just didn't quite feel like i was ready to live such a sanitized life i guess and um I knew I wanted to go someplace else. I just wasn't certain where. And my children and my mom both were in the States. And so I thought, well, let me see what Mexico is all about. So I literally took a cruise and hit a couple places in Mexico. But when I came into Mazatlan, it was like moments I was there. And um, I fell in love with the city. And I think I, I was here four days and came back. Uh, I, I actually bought my house then I just said i'm i 'm in but and then I have to tell you a story that just happened now like yesterday so I have a little spa here and so the the book I wrote the House on Carnival Street talks all about the the whole Mexican part of my life right and I was in uh, i I still do hair, and I had a customer come in, and she was from Australia, and I said, oh, wow, and I said, where are you from? She's like, Perth, and then she told me she had read The House on Carnival Street, and all about the Day of the Dead, and they booked a vacation here to Mexico, and I, and I was just so stunned, and I thought that was so cool, and she came into the salon, and I did her hair. That's very nice.
0: That is very cool.
1: That's so cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and Debbie, the other thing too for our listeners, uh, Debbie's got this most amazing book. We were just talking how beautiful the design of the book is. The Zanzibar Wife. Was that, um, inspired by your time in Afghanistan or would you like to talk us through that?
1: No, you know, I spent a lot of t- you know, I was in uh, going in and out of Afghanistan all the time. And so always my stop was Dubai. And so I was going to be going back to Dubai. And I, I wanted to find another setting for a book. And um, I thought, you know, let me just go over to Oman. It's just right there. And it's kind of a place that you don't hear a lot of people talking about. And so I went into Oman and it was probably one of the most stunning places I'd ever visited in the world and the people were so incredibly nice and they're surrounded by so much chaos and because it's you know right on by Yemen it's uh, across from Iran it butts up to Saudi Arabia it's right next to Dubai so they're so different because they don't have the bling they're not as conservative they're so welcoming and they're like accepting of of all religions and it's just really an amazing country but then i also found out that they um it was all part of zanzibar was all part of oman back in i believe the 1600s and my um my driver kept saying to me about his father He kept saying, yes, my father's Zanzibar wife. And I thought, wow, that's intriguing. What do you mean your father's Zanzibar wife? And he says, oh, yes, my father goes to Zanzibar. My mother's so angry, but he has, you know, he's had two Zanzibar wives. And so that just kind of sparked this intriguing, you know, I started just investigating Oman and Zanzibar and um just found some amazing stories, and in Oman, it has one of the most haunted places in the world. And so, my imagination just went wild at that point.
0: Oh, I'm I'm very curious what you mean about uh, about that. I mean, let's unpack that a little bit. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, um, so uh, I I don't know if you're familiar with gins but jinns are what we would, you've heard genie in the bottle in Islam. Uh, the djinn lives in a parallel universe with humans. And so, uh, they can do good things for you. They can do bad things for you. They can say, for instance, if you are, can't find your car keys, it's because the jinn took it. And, and some jins are really mean and some jinns are really good and they protect you. But everybody across the board, um, believes, uh, and Islam believes in the jinn. It's part of the, the, the whole religion and so in Bahala, they believe it's the birthplace of the djinn and so there's also in that town there's a lot of magic and it is um they people are some people are actually afraid to go there I wasn't afraid to go there but I had a girlfriend who uh was terrified and but we found we met so many amazing people and we literally kind of witnessed the magic and um and then you've got the the cross between Zanzibar the Zanzibar people have are in Oman because Zanzibar and Oman were one and um so then you have the culture between the voodoo for African voodoo and the mix of the whole gin and the magic and everything. It just was ripe for some amazing storytelling. Oh,
0: I just love it. I've got a vision of, I don't know if you remember the show, I Dream of Jeannie. Yes. Genie in a bottle. That's
1: ex- yes, that's exactly what it is. Yep. So I've no, got I'll- this
0: vision of I'm ca- I'm walking around uh, Omar Oman, is it Oman? Yeah. Uh, Omar. With a bottle of, of this genie that I could, you know, call upon when I want to create some magic. So it's actually quite beautiful. I don't think it's scary at all.
1: No, and I actually came home with uh, a little genie in my bottle too. Oh, so.
0: wow. <laughs> I love that. And do you actually use it as as in call it forward and work with your genie?
1: Well <laughs> – you know, I I guess you're supposed to keep your genie fed and happy, and my genie's probably been ignored a little bit. And so, um I don't I'm I'm haven't quite known what to do with my genie in Mexico. So, I still probably have to work on that.
0: I just love it. Love I know, it, love right? It. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we could go on on a conversation like this for uh, quite some time. So, for our listeners, they're probably sitting there going, "Who is Deborah Rodriguez?" Now, let's unpack your story. Tell us a little bit about you.
1: Well, I am um, originally from Michigan in the United States, and I was born to a family of hairdressers, and. Um, I basically in two thousand uh one I went and uh worked with nine eleven during the twin towers when they were attacked and I went and worked with firefighters doing massage therapy because I was a massage therapist. And then shortly after that I went into Afghanistan with a medical team and realized then that uh, I could probably put my my skill as a hairdresser to good use there, and went back and uh helped open the first beauty school in Afghanistan.
0: Oh wow, that's amazing, and it's still going <laughs> today
1: No, it's not because i had we had some big security issues, and so it is no longer work no longer there but I still basically do the same thing here in Mexico train the women and um, you know manicures pedicures facials massage um, uh, sponsor girls to go to school for beauty schools. so continuing the work just in a different country oh I just love that that's amazing so what what actually uh,
0: motivated you to do that what was your driver To go to Afghanistan? Yeah, to to actually um, teach others how to, you know, be a beautician, a hairdresser, a a masseur, a massage massage therapist.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I didn't. Well, when I when I was in doing the medical team, because I wasn't medical, I was absolutely useless on the team, and so I wound up just taking my scissors out and start cutting hair, and it was then that I started. I mean, I, I became at such, we had doctors and dentists and everything, but as the hairdresser, I was swamped doing so I was working so much doing hair. And that's when I realized that, okay, so this is something that really needs to, you know, where, where, where are the salons? Where are the women who are doing hair? Why is everybody coming to me? Why don't they have their own salons Mm -hmm. and so that's when I went in and tried to find them it was really really hard most of them had gone underground and they had um, it had been illegal during Taliban time to um, you know wear makeup fingernail polish toenail polish and you know but the Afghans love their party makeup they love doing their hair and so but it had gone underground and so most people they they didn't have their tools, whatever, if they were doing an underground salon, and they got caught, you know, they could get beat, go to prison. Um, so most of them like either buried or broke or destroyed all their tools. So these, these women who are attempting to now start their own business, some of the skill set had been lost because so many years of not being able to operate openly. And before that, it was civil war. So it was just dangerous, right? So women mm. just couldn't get out as easily because just of the fighting. And so I originally wanted to just go back. I thought, you know what? I saw them doing hair. They were doing perms. They love to do perms. They're doing them with sticks. And then I saw them cutting hair with giant, like they look like hedge clippers. They were so big. I thought, how could anybody do hair like this? And I could see them giving trying so hard but they didn't have the tools and and so I thought I'm going to just bring some supplies back and then somebody said to me why are you bringing supplies back why don't you go in and teach and I'm thinking oh goodness because I never crossed my mind but then I um I went back home to the salon and it just kind of circled in my head over and over and over again and I called the 1-800 number I thought how do you do this how would you get product how would you get anything over there I called the 800 number on the back of the Paul Mitchell shampoo bottle and I got you know, voicemail after voicemail going, leave a message, leave a message. And I left about 20 messages. And about three days later, the owner, Paul Mitchell, John Paul DeJoria, called me up and said, what do you need? I says, everything. And he, him and the entire beauty industry came together and shipped everything to me. And I then now was committed to, bring, I had to get it to Afghanistan and start to school.
0: Wow. You're such a courageous woman. Absolutely courageous. So how did you go from being a hairdresser to a storyteller? Because you've got like five books now.
1: Right. I think I always was a storyteller that became a hairdresser. Right. <laughs> so it's just part of my, I think it's just part of my whole family. They're storytellers. So I think it was just something that was, we always did. And as a hairdresser, I mean, you have to be a storyteller. I mean, that's just what you do. You know, you're talking. I always say it takes 10 minutes to do the haircut and the rest of the time you're just talking.
0: Oh, it's true. You know, if I have a look (laughs) at when I actually, when I was in my, when I was 16, I started my hairdressing apprenticeship and I remember working in a salon and it's so true. People tell you their life story. It's one of those things that they start connecting with you and it's almost therapeutic for them, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. I always say the chair has a bit of magic in it. Mm. And so it's like people do, they purge, they purge in the chair, everybody does. And so, and I'm also a collector of stories. So like, I, you know, I can, I can just pocket like a story. And then when I'm, trying to create a story I can come up with something I'm very visual so like everything I see I I mean I see everything I'm I'm always watching and noticing all little details and so I'm just exceptionally visual and I listen really a lot when I talk with people and so it's amazing how you can um you can just kind of create the story in your head. So it's just, it's something that's just very natural for me.
0: And you've, and you actually draw that from your life experience. You have a look at what you've been doing. It's so magical. It's inspiring, courageous all in one go.
1: Well, you know what? And the thing is, is it's really funny because for me, unless I live it, I can't write it. And so even if I have to live a portion of it, so I'm always kind of putting myself out there on a different adventure. Like I have this, I have this rule in my life that I have to step beyond my own, um, my own comfort zone. Like I have to, Mm -hmm. I once a year, I have to do something that is completely out of my comfort zone. So is it, um, last last October, I uh, climbed the mountain in Rwanda to see the gorillas. Now see, that would have been easy, but I am so out of shape. So climbing the mountain was like, that was like Everest for me. It was like so hard, but I thought, you know, I'm going to do it. And this year, This um, was a month or so ago. I went and I became a hypnotist. So I'm just I'm pushing myself all every year that I have to have one thing I do that is out of my comfort zone. And did you meet any gorillas? I did. Oh, my goodness. I sat there. (laughs) I sat with them. Um, My goal was to sit with the gorillas on my birthday. (gasps) And that's what I did. The hardest thing, oh my goodness, it was so hard. It was so muddy and so steep. I think it took three porters to push me up the hill. It was awful. (laughs) I I never want to do that again, but it was amazing. (laughs)
0: And is is it a protected environment? or Was it just like open and it's wild, and you can actually walk in? And they approach you like, no, they, no.
1: no, you you have to apply for a permit quite a bit in advance. So I had about uh, eight months that I had scheduled this day to go see my gorillas.
0: Mm, and obviously, they're this, this, like, safe. There's been no attacks or anything like that. I'm curious because I would love to do that. That's why I'm asking.
1: Oh, no. I think it's really – it was really safe. It was beautiful. Rwanda's stunning. Um, it's, it was – it's so – talk about magical. Talk about difficult. I went during rainy season, so it was just sloppy mud going up a steep mountain. But it was so – so amazing and it's so surreal you don't even believe that you're that close like they're pulling on your leg and the babies are running and you know untying your shoes or you know trying to grab things from you it was just unbelievable
0: wow that's amazing yeah I'm curious just a little bit more going back with the genie piece because I'm sure our listeners are also curious because you were talking about the difference between a good genie and a bad genie. And so if we uh, were to invest a genie bottle and then call upon a genie, how do you know if it's a good one or a bad one?
1: Well, you know, from, from just stuff, obviously the research I've done, and i talked to so many people that believe that they have been, say, possessed by Jen, right? And for instance, I'll just give you an example how this could work. So, say a woman who has not found love or not found every time she's in a relationship, uh, it just seems to get so close to almost that perfect relationship, perfect marriage, ready for it to happen, and then something just Everything goes belly up, and time and time again this happens, right, so the woman could go to the magic guy or whatever the guy who knows about the gins and the shaman let's call him um she could go there, and he would then assess if he she has a gin that's affecting her or um. You know, something like that. And oftentimes they'll say, You have a gen that's in love with you. And this gen is very, very jealous. And the gen cannot, does not want you to have a relationship because you, this gen loves you. And he wants to be with you. And he doesn't want you to have anybody else. And so. And and so then you have to, like, get rid of the gin, I think. And so then that's, like, a whole, like, little exorcism thing. But, yeah, so some people have genies and uh, they bring them and they have them for their business. And they will have the genie and it will be, you know, to try to bring they'll, – they'll pay uh, one of these uh, genie guys, whatever, the ones who do the magic – to get them a genie so that they can bring it into their business and cause their business to be successful but you know I think genies can be unpredictable so um I mean so they say and you know they could you know you got to be careful you can't make the genie angry Mm. that you don't ever want to make the genie angry
0: No. And and so are we saying that you need a shaman to uh, invite a genie on your behalf or could you do that yourself?
1: You know what? I I think that might be past my pay grade on that one. I'm not quite (laughs) certain. Um, I think so because I I mean, I don't, I I would imagine you would need to go to a genie specialist Mm. for that one. I don't think that's a layman thing. And there's a lot of genie specialists out there. That's the wild thing. That's what I was so surprised about. Like, I went hunting for the magic, both in Zanzibar and in Oman. And nobody wants to talk about it, right? Because Mm. nobody wants to admit anything. And then, but eventually... When you do get people, everybody believes in it. Everybody has experiences with it. Um, everybody, like it's there, it's, it's mind blowing. I literally actually had my own personal experience that I, I took and it is in the book. It was a real experience that I had. And so when you read the book, you will see the experience and, I have. I wrote about it in my Q&As too, but um, on the back of the book or in, in the book. So it was – it's it's kind of – it was scary. But, yeah, it was kind of scary.
0: Are you happy to share just a little bit, just to tap into, just sure. to give, well, give our listeners a bit of an appetite <laughs> so they can get your book to get the right, whole story? Right, right,
1: right. So – uh, I went with my, uh, my research partner, Ellen, and we went to, we were in, you know, hunting for the magic and we actually went into the town of Bahala and, uh, Oman. And I was told that was the birthplace. I was told to find the, the big tree where the genies, uh, or the djinn are, are living, um, And there's a big fort that is there. And they said to look for the man in the shop in front of the tree. So I went there and I asked him if he was, you know, I had to be kind of careful because I wasn't certain what's appropriate. It's like, but by this time it was really hot and we're really tired. It had been a long trip. And I says, are you the guy that does magic? And he said, yes. I says, you know, I'd really like to talk to you about it. So we're in the middle of the mountains, like it felt like in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And he said, he told our driver to leave. He says, no, your driver can leave now. And he says, I'll take care of you guys from here on. And all of a sudden we're standing there and our driver's gone. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, this is just weird. And I'm looking at Ellen and we're thinking, oh, my goodness, we can't we can't there's no story if you don't experience it right Right. so we went and he was lovely the man was just absolutely lovely we went home with him and his son and met his whole entire family and he invited us they're so hospitable and invited us for for lunch and we had lunch with him and then now the family is all um gone, you know, in the other room and him and his son were sitting there. And he said, he started to tell me things about myself that nobody else knew. And I was like sitting there going, you got to be kidding me. And I mean, just like really like nobody in the world, but myself knew. And um, he said, you know, that you have had black magic put on you. Right. And I did. I, I knew, and he, and he gave, I don't want to, he gave me the details of when something had happened to me in Afghanistan. And he gave me so many of the details. I'm like going, I could not believe it. And he says, do you want to keep that? And I said, well, I don't know. I mean, I, what does it involve to get rid of it is what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, let, you know, if you want to keep it, you can keep it. It's, it's causing you harm, but you can keep it. And I'm like, and Ellen's looking at me as we're taking notes, right? She's, I'm doing all the talking. She's doing all the note taking and she looks at me and I'm like, oh goodness, I am going to have to take one for the team. I see, and so I says, okay, let's get rid of this thing. And. And there we did. It was just the most bizarre moment of my life. And Ellen was, I would say, skeptical of all this. Like, I'm more of the kind of person that doesn't discount anything. Like, I don't have to believe. I don't have to disbelieve. But I won't say that it's not real because I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm i the type of person that... um doesn't say it's not real. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not a skeptic, but I, I, cause I just don't know. Right. Mm. And I'm who, who can tell you what's real and not real. And so, but Ellen was a little bit of the skeptic and she's, and I says, Ellen, whatever you do, do not leave me. And they covered me with a claw or a big scarf, um, big shawl. And, put frankincense under the shawl and they started this whole ceremony. And, uh, it's uh, the right. You could read about it in the book. Um, that happened to one of my characters, but Ellen, basically her thought was if she would not have believed it, if she had not seen it, it was so, uh, it was, it was it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable and scary a little bit, and it it was very overwhelming for me. So wow! And have yeah, you it was
0: crazy? I love it. I'm covered in goosebumps listening to this, <laughs> and I'm just thinking like, has your life changed from that? You know, whatever. It's almost like an exorcism, isn't it? So has it your was life changed?
1: An <laughs> yes. You know it was, It was weird. Well, I had been having awful, awful stomach problems. And he said, Oh, and he touched my stomach. He goes, your problems right here. Right. I'm like, Oh my goodness. I thought I was going to go through the ceiling. I haven't had any stomach problems since then. Wow, which is really weird. And the and another thing is, I had they were smoking me. I felt like I was a smoked turkey or something. <laughs> then this big shawl over me and this frankincense that was smoking underneath the shawl. I have asthma. I thought I'm gonna die. I just knew that I'm just going to die. I'm going to die in the process of writing this book. I am going to die. There was, I was so scared. I was so scared. And I'm thinking I'm in the mountains in the middle of nowhere and the most haunted place on the earth covered in a shawl with frankincense flowing up me. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? I am crazy absolutely insane to be doing this and so I still can't believe I did it
0: and and this is this where you uh received your genie genie in a bottle
1: um I actually went to um the which is also in the book this place where uh the potters uh handmade they they are supposed to have magic in their fingers and they make pots and so uh I, I bought a a small pot and like, not like, not like the genie, more a little clay pot. And I don't know if my, um, if my genie man, you know, if he was just messing around with me, but he says, okay, now you have your genie. I have not dared to open it. Okay. Because, (laughs) I'm just I'm using it as decoration and I'm I'm just gonna leave it closed because I don't wanna open up that. I believe enough not to open it. Okay. Because I haven't been feeding my genie. Yeah. So I don't
0: know if my genie is just really mad. So when you're saying feeding, are you talking about giving it attention on a daily basis where you maybe give it, you know, your time, your space, your energy. Is that what you mean by feeding it?
1: No, I think you're supposed to give it like fruit or something. <laughs> 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 and so my genie's probably really hungry. I think you're supposed to feed the genie like you're supposed to this is so funny. My girlfriend had um all these things happening here in Mexico in her restaurant, right? And I said, Oh, I wonder if it's a gin. So of course I have I have my the gin guy, right? Mm-hmm. I got him on my WhatsApp. So I'm texting him. I'm going, Do you think she has and it was happening in a bathroom, right? And so, like, it was weird stuff happening in the in the bathroom of her restaurant. And so he um and I know that genies like live in can live in the bathroom. They mm-hmm. live in the drink stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And so they get really mad if like they're peed on or if somebody pours hot water down the drain and stuff like that. So I'm texting, Oh, Michael, do you think she has a genie? Do you think she has a gen? He goes, Oh yeah, she might. He, I says, well, what does she do? He goes, well, he needs to feed it. I says, really? What do we feed? It? What do we feed this genie to make it not mad anymore? He goes, you need to give him meat. And I'm like, so I'm I'm now texting her going, he says you need to give him meat. She goes, what kind of meat? He goes, I'm like, what? You know, I'm doing this all going on on WhatsApp. <laughs> and I'm thinking, does she cook the meat? And so we're trying to figure it out. So that Jen got like prime rib and it was sitting in the bathroom and the and the waiters are going, why do we have meat on the floor in the bathroom? But. The it's gone. Oh wow. Or it's Yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. Like she goes, I can't believe you made me put meat in my bathroom. I'm like, you could have put hamburger. You didn't have to put prime rib in your bathroom. So
0: Wow, that's amazing. I find that so fascinating. Kind of funny, right? Oh absolutely. So Debbie, with the benefits of hindsight, would you have done anything differently in your life?
1: I might not have married as many husbands.
0: Mm. <laughs> How many husbands th- are we talking oh, I about? Have, I
1: have a lot.
0: I have a lot. Yeah. Five? Oh, <laughs> high five to you. That's amazing. I know. I know.
1: Well, right? and,
0: and maybe that's what Afghanistan did to you because isn't it uh, it's 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 legal there, isn't it, to have well, they're allowed to have as many wives as they want to, is that correct? I
1: think four. 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 Okay. You can only have four at a time.
0: Wow, that's yeah.
1: fantastic. But- well it was complicated. It's complicated. And that's the one thing. You know, I'm glad I did it because it's like now I have the stories. But I think that there could have been a few that I could have like passed on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so. But you know what they say, relationships are all about lessons. When you meet people, it's about your, your learning from them. And quite often you attract what you need to learn. Yeah. so you know, and you've gone through a massive adventure, which I absolutely love. And I guess during your adventure, what has been some of those greatest lessons that you have learned along the way?
1: Mm. You know what? I always I always say to my friends that are afraid to do something. I always say, you know if you don't get out on that limb and if you don't try, you, you, you may fail but who cares? What's, I always say, what's the very worst case scenario? You're going to what, die. So like, if you can wrap your head around that, then you can do anything. Like, I think it's okay to fail at something. And maybe that's why, you know, married all the time. I now would not do that. But, um, I think that I, I was okay at, like making a mistake, I was okay at. I knew if I didn't try, I couldn't succeed. Mm.
0: But I'm sure that every less, you know, every relationship brought some great lessons along the way too that le- you learnt. Which, you know, like I think that when we when we make mistakes, we fail at something. It's like, what did I learn out of that? And it gives you a greater insight into what you will not do the next time.
1: Right, and you know what, the, my my hardest marriage. Um, my hardest marriage, if it wasn't for that marriage, I would have never gone to Afghanistan. And so that was the most difficult marriage for me. And, um, it was because of the difficultness on the marriage. that I think I didn't feel like I had anything to lose. And so for me to go to Afghanistan felt easy. Mm. And so thing and my whole life changed, everything changed. And so thank God for that difficult marriage because I would have never wrote any of the books. I would have never put the beauty school in. I would never be living in Mexico. I would never had the beautiful grandchildren I have today in Mexico. So, I mean, it was the hardest, worst time of my life and, the most pivotal time in my life.
0: Mm, Oh, that's beautiful. So, and I think that we love to ask Debbie, and because obviously uh, you're a a, a writer, you have your own business, and we always talk about pain points because we believe that everyone has pain points in their business. And what would be some of your pain points in your business as an author, as a hairdresser, as as an adventurer, as a storyteller? What would be some of your pain points?
1: Um... I think that the, the thing that is the most difficult in, in, um, say for instance, in the, in this business and, and, and publishing books and stuff like that is how publishing has changed so mm-hmm. much in the past, you know, say 13 years, uh, from having to you know in the past you basically sold a book and you sat back and you really didn't do anything and you went on a book tour and that was pretty much it and now there's so much there's so much now on the market that you have to do all this self-promotion which is really I'm really difficult for me I don't Mm. uh I'm I mean, I don't mind doing social media and stuff like that, but I feel like sometimes I'm constantly having to self-promote and I'm not a big self-promoter. I kind of, that feels awkward. And so having to do that and, um, you work, you work, you have to have so many hats now in Mm. order to be an author. You've got to be able to do, you know, you got to be right on it with tweeting and Instagramming and, you know, you've kind of got to be entertaining people all along the way. Like you have to stay really current and you, you don't have, um, you don't, everybody is next to you now, Mm -hmm. which actually, for me, I don't mind. I like to keep my readers really close. I like to have conversations with them. But it was a real learning curve, right? I didn't Mm -hmm. know how to do that. And so that was hard. Um, You know, and, and also, I think that, you know, with each you don't want to rewrite the same book over and over and over again right mm. but your readers like a certain kind of book and so basically giving your readers what they want and also staying true to yourself yeah and and so always trying to find like i i love I love women empowerment, right? Mm -hmm. And that will always, I'll always have that in my books. And so just finding the real, like finding the story, finding the location that, um, you know is something the readers would be interested in. And so the more books you write, the you know you're always searching for these locations. It's it can be tough. It can you know like I'm working now on a a new a new book that I can't talk about yet and a new location. And it just it's it's hard. Mm. I mean, t- you got to like find your characters and everybody kind of has to audition for this book. The stories audition, the the characters audition, the the location has to audition. And then plus your publishers need to like it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really can be tricky sometimes.
0: Yeah. And so you've stuck with a one publisher?
1: You know, I have, I have, uh, different countries have different publishers. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I mean,
0: yeah. Yeah. So, what I'd love to do is uh find out what advice would you have given your younger self? Oh. Um cuz you have gone on an amazing adventure, is there anything any advice you would give your younger self?
1: I mean, there's a lot of things I would definitely would be I don't have to always get married would be, you know, one of the things. I think that my younger self never you know, as I I was raised in a family with hairdressers, right? Mm-hmm. And so you see you see every I always thought that I was I think inferior, right? Because I was always the creative one and I was doing hair. And I always thought that I needed to be a doctor or a lawyer or something with lots of letters behind my name in order to make a difference. And I didn't realize that I could make a difference, that that my skill in hairdressing could make a difference. And I think that I would have let my younger self understand and really tap into my unique skill, my unique storytelling and allow myself to just be that at a very, at a younger age and be okay with that. Mm. And, and that, I mean, just being okay with me. And, you know, I mean, I always was, I always did dance to a the different beat of the drummer. I always was that person, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know that was okay. Yeah. And so just letting, you know, that you don't have to be dripping with money to make a difference. You don't have to be, you just, you can make a difference in your backyard. Mm -hmm. You can make a difference anywhere and just opening your eyes and just seeing the world, that way and and that that was always that was always important to me to know that i my life wasn't wasted just being selfish and on me
0: mm. I love it. I could talk to you forever, so as we wrap up the show, we always ask our woman of inspiration to pick one word that best describes her personal brand. So, What would be that one word for you? Oh jeez, that's really hard um.
1: Curious.
0: Mm, I was. I was going to say curious. Absolutely curious. Were you? All magical. All magical. <laughs>
1: magical. Yeah. 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 Curious. I know. I have a whole bunch of words here. I think curious. Magical.
0: Mm, love like,
1: it. Conv- Oh,
0: and yeah. the other thing as we do uh, every time we actually wrap up the session, we ask our woman of inspiration to leave our listeners with three shiny golden nuggets. So what are those three shiny golden nuggets that you would like to leave for our listeners today?
1: Um, I think that don't just think about doing something. Do it. And always put yourself out of your comfort zone. And it's okay not to be like everybody else.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. Just do it. And I think it's really important when you put yourself out. I love the the fact that you put yourself, you consciously put yourself out of your comfort zone, at least doing one thing every year because that's how we grow. That's how we learn, and that's how yeah. we expand and discover other wondrous things about life, about culture, about you know
1: wherever you are. Yeah, mm. I think so. Yeah, Mm-mm. I think we. I think getting out of your comfort zone is the one of the most important things to do, mm. even if it's something small. Yeah, so true. So Debbie, for get- our
0: listeners, where could they find you? What's the best place?
1: Um, they can find me uh, on Facebook. They can also find me on uh, on my website, uh, Debbie Hair uh, uh, Deborah Rodriguez dot com. Um. And on Facebook, it's uh, uh, Deborah Rodriguez Author. Mm. So you can find me there.
0: Thank you so much. And look, for our listeners, I highly recommend have a look at the books. And as I said, the the actual cover and the design for The Zanzibar Wife is absolutely Ah, oh, delectable is probably the word that comes to mind. Look, Debbie, thank you so much for your time, your energy. It's been so much fun. And I have to say, it was a very unique conversation. I really am inspired by the whole genie thing. I might actually oh, go so funny. and do some research myself and get a genie, but I just love it.
1: Yeah, you might as well have a genie right now. Some people have cats, other people have genies, right?
0: Yeah, true. I love it.
1: <laughs> thank, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so, so very much.
1: It was such a pleasure.
0: That brings us to the end of another episode. I hope you enjoyed the show as it is my mission to reach out and inspire as many individuals like you. And one of the best ways to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes. It's easy and it only takes about 10 seconds. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift, where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Catherine Plano. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Until next week, please take care of yourself.